We're going to start with this life truth this morning. The truly happy life, the truly happy life comes from living in right standing with God. Now, I'm using those terms intentionally. The word blessed, which is how the psalmist starts off today. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man, the woman, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. That word blessed, it means fortunate. It means happy. Happiness. The Bible is not against our happiness. The Bible is for it. I think we've gotten to this place in kind of Christendom where we want to make this big, huge difference between happiness and joy. And I'll be honest, I'm not sure the Bible makes that distinction, but here's what the Bible does make a distinction about. It's, it's all about where we find happiness. We're on a quest for it. Every person is. One theologian said centuries and centuries ago that every man and every woman seek happiness. That is without exception. That whatever different means they may use, they all go to that end. They're trying to find happiness. It is the motive of every action they take, even the person who hangs themselves. They're looking for happiness. So it is a quest that we're on. And the Bible, I believe, is okay with that. The question is, where do we find happiness? Now, I, I crafted the life truth to say the truly happy life. And I put in your parentheses their highest form of. Because we can find happiness in the world in earthly things. We can find happiness in relationships. We can find happiness in a career. We can find happiness in having a certain amount of money or certain things that we gather. We can find happiness in hobbies. We can find happiness in God's creation, the things that He's given us to enjoy and to see. But the reason that I'm putting there the, the highest form of is because all, all of those things that we find happiness in are, are lower forms of happiness. The highest form, the, the most pure form of happiness, the one that no one can take from you, the one that doesn't ebb and flow based on your daily life and how things are going, good or bad, that happiness is found one place, having right standing with God. And you knowing that. You knowing that you, you're, you're walking and living in right standing with God. That He loves you, He cares for you, and He is pleased with you. And that is true happiness. The world doesn't believe that. And without faith, we can't believe that. It's so hard for us to believe that, that you're saying I could be in circumstances of complete misery, yet I could still have this wonderfully happy life if I'm in right standing with God. And the Bible says, absolutely. Just like the Bible would say you could be the richest person on earth, the most famous person on earth, with the best relationships, the best career, everything that you think you need could be lined up 
and you would never find true happiness apart from right standing with God. So the psalmist says, blessed, fortunate, and happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Happy are those who know that when God looks at my life, He does not regard all the things that I have done wrong. Happy is the person who knows that no matter what, God's love for them doesn't change. Happy is the one who knows that God is always with them. If things were as they were in the garden before sin, we see right standing with God, and that's true happiness. But sin entered the picture through rebellion, and that is why it is the truly blessed life that has their sins forgiven, their, their iniquity covered, so that they can once again have that right standing with God. And that happiness, in your notes, that happiness is not something that is earned. It is something that is received. That's different than how we think. Again, our idea is happiness is something we achieve. I need to work for it. That's how I'll be truly happy. So if, if, if this vacation is going to make me happy, I've got to really work hard for it so I can get there. If this promotion is going to make me happy, I, I've got to have, I've got to earn favor and I've got to do all the right things so that I can achieve it. Whatever the goal is, our mindset is, I've got to work hard to earn it. The happiness that we're talking about in the Lord, right standing with God, is not something you can earn. It is something you can only receive. It is a gift. If you have a Bible this morning, if you'll go over to Romans chapter 4 for a moment. And as we always say, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, we would love to gift you with one. They are on the back table. There's a couple of copies back there. You can pick that up and take it with you. It's our gift to you from our church. Romans chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 4. And, and I'm going here in part because Paul talks about this right standing with God, but also because he quotes Psalm 32. So what we're going to see is that as, as Paul is talking about the Gospel, he is going to bring in Psalm 32 telling us that David in the Old Testament, as he wrote, as he wrote Psalm 32, is pointing us to the Gospel. He's pointing us to what God was going to do through Jesus. So look at verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And pause there for a moment. What Paul is talking about is how you and I get right standing before God. When you come to that place that you realize that your sin, your transgressions, your iniquity has separated you from God. That you are, are, are living in a world that is not in harmony with God and you look at yourself and you realize, I'm not in harmony with God. 
So can I get there? How do I get there? And, and Paul is giving that answer. And Paul is saying that, that one of the ways that religion will tell you you get harmony with God is work hard for it. But then Paul says, but, but here's the thing. When you work for something, and, and, and then someone gives you something, it, they're not giving you a gift, they're just giving you what they owe you. I doubt many of you who work in a, in, a, in a job where you get a paycheck, I doubt that every week when you get your paycheck, you're, you call your employer and say, hey, I just wanted to thank you for, for this gift. I wanted to thank you for giving me this paycheck. That's not our mindset because it's what? You, well, I earned this. <laughs> I've worked hard for this. Matter of fact, they, they need to give me a little more. So if salvation worked that way, it's not a free gift. It's just what God owes you. Because you've worked hard for it. You've been good. You've done the right thing. So God owes you salvation. It's not, Paul says, that's not how this works. Paul says, you've got to put yourself in an entirely different mindset. Here's the mindset you have to have. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do that God would look at you and say, okay, you have harmony with me now. There's nothing you can do that God would say, okay, you, you've done enough good things, you, you can be in my presence. Paul says the only way to get right standing with God is believe in Him who justifies the ungodly. Believe in a God who says ungodly, unworthy people will be made right in His sight. Not by what they do, but by what He has done. Paul says that's the only way for you to have right standing with God. And then he goes on to quote Psalm 32. Just as David also speaks of the blessing, the happiness of the one to whom God counts righteousness or gives righteousness apart from works. So he says this is exactly what David was talking about. Go all the way back, centuries ago, Psalm 32. This is what David was talking about when he said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So, Paul says this is how you get right standing. This is how you live a blessed life. This is how you have the highest, truest form of happiness that no one can take from you. You receive God's gift. Put it out of your mind that you earn it. Believe upon the One who will declare sinners not guilty in His sight. That's how we earn, excuse me, that's how we receive this happiness, which is not earned. I was just seeing if you were awake. Alright, in your notes, here's what I think is kind of the thesis of today, if you will, so I put it in bold. This happiness that we're talking about is dependent upon your honesty before God in place of deception. This happiness, this right standing with God is dependent on something. It is dependent upon you being honest before God in place of deception. Happiness, right standing with God does not require your work but it does make demands of you. 
doesn't require you to earn it. You can't. But it does make demands of you. And one of those demands is that you have to learn a new way of dealing with your failures. You have to learn a brand new way to deal with your mess-ups and your transgressions. What are we geared to do if we go to kind of our natural state? What are we geared to do when we've messed something up? We try to fix it before we get caught. We try to we try to conceal it so nobody knows. And if we can't do that, if we can't conceal it, if we can't fix it before someone finds out, then we blame shift. Let me see who I can point the finger at. Let me see what situation I can point to and say, well, it was, this is why I did what I did. And, and what David is going to unfold for us in Psalm 32 is if you're going to find this truly happy, blessed life, you have to come to a brand new way of thinking when it comes to your failures. When it comes to your sins before God, you cannot try to fix them. You cannot try to hide them and you cannot point the blame. You're going to have to be honest before God. You're going to have to put away the deception and you're going to have to be real and transparent with Him. So here's how David put it. Let me go back to verse 1 and 2 again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. What kind of deceit is he talking about? He's talking about the kind of deceit that would cause you to cover up your sin. To cover up your transgressions. To cover up your iniquity. What David is going to unfold before us is that even for a believer, even for those who have received that free gift of salvation, even for those who believe upon the God who justifies the ungodly, who forgives sinners, even then, your transgressions, which is rebellion, your sin, which is guilt before God, your iniquity, which is wickedness that is due punishment, even in the Christian life, those things will hinder happiness in God. They will hinder you living out and experiencing true happiness in Him. So, the way that you push those things aside so they're not hindrances is not by works, but by faith in the God who justifies the ungodly and in the God who will continue to forgive your sins if you are honest with Him. David is going to unfold for us a time in his life when he hid from God and he was silent before God and he refused to confess his sins. And he's going to contrast that to the freedom and the mercy that he found 
when he decided to go before God and be honest. Before we get there, though, I want to recall something to you. A passage that I have, the Spirit of God keeps bringing to my attention for my personal life and the one that I have laid before you many times over the past few weeks. And it's Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. It's this prayer that we looked at back when we was, were going through the book, the letter to the Colossians. And it's a prayer that, that Paul says, this is what I'm praying for the church. And I'm praying this for my life and I've commended to you what an incredible prayer this would be for us to take up for our church, but also for ourselves. And if I was going to give a summary of the prayer, it's in this little text box. Growing in the knowledge of God's will and growing with the wisdom to apply that knowledge will result in a life that is pleasing to God and fruitful in good works. That's what the Colossians laid out, lays out. I pray that you grow in the knowledge of God's will. And I pray that you learn how to apply the knowledge of God's will to your life. Not as a mere academic, let me, let me know a lot of things so that I can, can be seen as this great theologian. No, the, the result of that, the result of you and I growing in the knowledge of what God wants and what God says and learning how to apply that to our lives, to our relationships, to the situations that we find ourselves in, learning how to act and react based on God's will, that is going to lead to a life that is pleasing to Him. And that when we do good works, we will be fruitful in them. You and I as believers, we should desire to do good works. But even more so, we should desire when we do a good work, that it's fruitful. We don't want to just do good things and it not produce something. We want to do good works and it produce godliness. How do we get there? Set your face to learn more of God's will. Set your prayers to understand how to apply His will to your life. He has given you all of these wonderful godly activities to pray and seek His help, to open up His Word and learn, to sing gospel-saturated songs, to be in fellowship with one another and discuss things. And in all of that, you are learning God's will. And you are learning and praying, God, show me how to apply this. And the more you do that, the more pleasing you are to God and the more fruitful your life will be. Now, I want to answer a question that some of you may have before we finish. How does the no works of Romans 4 fit into the pleasing God with your works of Colossians 1? It's a good question. Because Romans 4 says you can't earn this you must receive it. You must believe in the God who justifies the ungodly. Colossians 1 says, you 
need to learn more of God's will so that you can do things that are pleasing to God. How do those things go together? And it's not in your notes, but if I was going to try to summarize it in one sentence, it would sound this way. You and I do not work for right standing with God, but we do work from right standing with God. We do not work to earn God's favor, His love, to belong in His presence. We don't work for that. One day when we stand before Christ, we will be empty-handed. There is, I believe, no place in Scripture that tells us He's going to say, why should I let you in? Which is one of the popular kind of evangelism questions. But if that question was asked, there is nothing for us to say to pass that test. Only I believed upon God who justifies the ungodly. But we do, when we have that right standing with God, we do work from that right standing to live in a way that pleases Him and bears good fruit. The free gift that God has given us of salvation doesn't nullify the fact that there are still things that please God and things that don't. There are still actions that God is happy with and actions that He is not happy with. There are still things that you do that can be holy and things that you can do that can be unholy. And so when you realize God has freed me from the fear of judgment, He has freed me from the burden of having to earn right standing with Him, of wondering one day, will I be good enough to be in His presence? He's freed me from that. Now, what do you do with your freedom? Do you use it for more sin? Because it will all be covered? Paul says, no. You use it to serve Him with your life. Not to earn something, but out of gratitude for what He has done. So what is going to happen for you is that as you are growing in the knowledge of God's will, as you are growing in, in wisdom of how to apply it, God is going to show you things about your life. He's going to show you things that are not pleasing to Him. He's going to show you maybe sometimes big things, maybe sometimes big habits, big actions, things that you are you feel trapped in and you don't know how to get away from, but it may also be subtle things. How you act toward certain people, react when certain people, or when you're treated a certain way. What you put your mind on and take into your life. As God is steering you, He is going to show you things. If that's not happening for us as we grow spiritually, it's probably because we're not really hearing Him. Because our lives don't completely align to His will. And so He's always going to be helping to shape us. So in your notes, as God reveals the areas of our life that are not aligned to His will, we will either conceal our sin, 
or we will confess our sin. As a believer, if you are in Christ and you have believed upon the One who justifies the ungodly, as you are growing in the knowledge of God's will and learning how to apply it, God is going to show you things. It may be in prayer. It may be in His Word. It may be in a song. It may be in someone He puts in your life. It may be in a situation He puts you into. You may act a certain way or react, and all of a sudden you just feel that little voice, that, that conviction in your heart that, ah, oh, that's probably not what I should have done there. Or you may have a brother or a sister who comes to you and says, listen, I'm concerned about something. And I just want to talk with you about what I see. When that happens and God reveals to us in some way, when God reveals to us in some way how we are not aligned with His will, here's the question. What are we going to do? It's one of two things. We're going to conceal it or we're going to confess it. That's the two options. So let's go back to the psalm. Psalm 32. Look at verse... Three, David said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So I acknowledged my sin to you. And that tells us what kind of silence he was talking about. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity which is a word there that means conceal. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So when our sin is revealed to us, one of two things are going to happen. We're going to conceal it or confess it. And whichever path we take, will result in two totally different things. So in your notes, if we conceal our sins, we will receive His discipline. If we conceal our sins, we will receive His discipline. This is what happened to David in verse 3. When I kept silent, when God revealed to me the things that I had done, when He showed me my sin and I kept silent about it, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, because day and night His hand was heavy upon me. It is good news and it is hard news that God disciplines His people. It's good news because when God reveals your sin to you and you do not respond in a right way, it's good news that God does not wipe His hands of you. He doesn't withdraw from you. He doesn't cut you off if you're a believer. But the hard news is He will discipline His children. And David is describing discipline in this way. I groaned and my bones were wasting away. My strength was dried up. 
He is describing physical ailments that are coming from his refusal to confess his sins to God. He is describing a physical impact that his spiritual state was having on his life. Listen, I believe that obviously there are very real medical things that happen to us and we need treatment for those things. I believe in times of emotional distress. I believe in mental and emotional issues and depression. And I think we should at times seek help for those things when they are really bad. I I believe in that. But I don't believe I am being just to God's Word if I don't point out that some of those things may be caused by our refusal to confess our sins. That we can cause ourselves physical, emotional, and mental issues because we refuse to confess sin that God has revealed to us that we need to confess. You might say, well, I'm not concealing my sin, or what does that even mean? And I think it's a good question. We can conceal our sin by just outright denying what God is saying. God reveals the sin to us and we say, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to go there. Uh, I, I understand what you're saying, God, but sorry, no. But sometimes concealing our sin isn't outright denial. Sometimes it's just avoiding the conversation. It's ignoring what God is saying. We know He's telling us. You need to repent here. We know He's telling us. You need to confess this. And we're just pushing it out of our minds. We're delaying it. We're finding something else to talk to God about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that, God. But listen, I just saw this in Your Word and I'm really curious. I want to pray about this for a while. Then I'll deal with that. And sometimes we conceal it by justifying it. I know, I know, God, I know what your word says, but, but, and then whatever follows. But you don't know, or God, this is why, and we justify it. I'm not saying to you that the moment God reveals something and you conceal it, that immediately discipline follows. God, knows how to discipline His children. I am saying that if we refuse to confess, eventually discipline will come. And what that discipline will be may be what David is sharing. It may be something totally different. As God's children, we don't get to look at one another and say, well, I want the kind of discipline they get. He knows what discipline we need and He will bring it because He loves us. But, If we will not conceal our sin, if we will confess our sins in your notes, if we confess our sins, we receive His mercy. That's the beautiful thing. When God reveals to us things about our life, if we will be honest before Him, not try to hide it, not try to justify it, not try to cover it up, if we will be honest before God, and confess our sins, we will find His mercy. Acts chapter 3, Paul is preaching and and he gives this beautiful statement. And he's preaching to people who are not saved. 
And he says, repent. So times of refreshing may come from the Spirit of God. And He may send you the Christ. But even for the church, I believe that is a beautiful sentiment. Church, repent and confess your sins and God will refresh you. Literally, it means He will give you rest. It means receiving coolness after heat. The mercy of God will cover you when you confess your sins. Listen, we're not talking here about perfection. You may, you may continue to struggle and work through whatever this thing is God is revealing to you about. It may not go away immediately. What we're talking about is the first step in just confessing to God, I acknowledge to you, this is not your will, and I want to repent of this. God help me. And then you begin that journey that He has put you on. What does repentance look like? In your notes, number one, we should confess quickly. Look at verse 6. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, and I believe he's talking about the prayer of confession, offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. I looked at Lamar when he was doing his, his pointing thing because I was curious if he was going to identify the him there as him or him. Because honestly, you can read it both ways. The rush of waters is probably referring to judgment. The call is, confess your sins when God may be found. Because surely when judgment comes, you can say, judgment will not reach Him, the one who has confessed His sin. Or, when judgment comes, your prayers will not reach God. Because it will be too late. For the godly person, while we won't step into judgment, and we will never have to face that, the call is, when God reveals something to you about your life, confess it quickly. Don't delay. Don't, don't wait. Don't push it aside. Don't ignore it. Confess then. Confess not before your salvation is removed, but confess before the thing that you're doing creates great harm in you and around you. Confess before the trouble gets worse. Confess before the harm grows. Confess at the moment you can, if you have ever walked through a great valley of your own creation, you probably have looked back and said, I wish I had confessed quickly. Do so now. Confess quickly. Confess confidently. Confess confidently. Look at verse 7. God, You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. What am I saying to confess confidently in? Confess confidently in God. Listen, church, I, I'm going to make you a promise. If you have a deep sin that you're in, and you are struggling with confession, the enemy of your soul will tell you, if you confess that, 
no one will ever look at you the same again. If you confess that, you're going to lose your standing before God. If you confess that, you will bring great shame upon yourself. Keep it quiet. Keep it in the dark. Do you know why He wants you to keep it in the dark? Because He can torture you with it there. Confess confidently. God, if everyone else leaves me, You are my hiding place. God, I may have to deal with earthly circumstances, but You will deliver me from trouble. And God, when I confess my sins to those spiritual forces that were trying to get me to be quiet, You will surround me with shouts of deliverance. My child is free because they confess their sins. So confess quickly, confess confidently, and confess dependently. Let's look at verse 8 and 9. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or it won't stay near you. God is saying, when you come to me and confess your sins, I will instruct you. Confess dependently. Acknowledge your sin before God and ask Him for His help and be ready to receive what He says. Don't look for your own way out. Don't go to God and confess the sin and say, okay, God, I I know this is wrong. I'm acknowledging it to you and here's how I'm going to take care of it. No. Go to God, confess your sin, and ask God what to do. God, teach me. Show me. What a beautiful verse. Did you see it? God will counsel you with His eye upon you. What does that mean? It means not only is God going to show you where to go and what to do, but He's going to make sure you get there. His eye will be upon you while He counsels you. God says, please, don't be a follower who I always have to put a bridle in your mouth and pull you where you need to go. I will because I love you. But don't. Listen to me instead. Let me instruct you and show you the way to go. So confess quickly, confess confidently, confess dependently because God loves you and cares for you. An old theologian back in the day of Spurgeon named J.W. Reeve, he said, true faith knows not only that deception before God is impossible, but also that it's no longer needed. The true believer has nothing to conceal. Man, the most foolish thing would be to say, I'm going to hide my sin from God (laughs) when He knows everything about us. Every thought we have before we have it. Every word we say before we say it. When we conceal our sin, we're not hiding it from God. We're hiding it from our own selves and acknowledging it before Him. And you don't have to hide because He has set you free in Christ. Confess your sin and be blessed. Confess your sin and have the happiness of God that comes in right standing with Him. I've been ending these sermons with this look to Jesus' plea. Where do we see Jesus in all of this this morning? I ask a question in your notes. 
How can God be a good and just judge in declaring guilty people innocent? How can God be a good and just judge in declaring guilty people innocent? I don't know, did you catch that in Romans 4? Believe upon the God who justifies the ungodly? That phrase means believe upon the God who declares guilty people innocent. How many of you, if you knew there was a judge in our city who brought guilty people before him and said, you're free to go, you're innocent, would we look and say, that's a good judge? How can God be a just and good judge in declaring guilty people innocent? And the answer is Jesus. Because Jesus was sinless, Jesus was guiltless, and Jesus died as a criminal. Not His own sins, but absorbing the consequence of ours. God punished Jesus on the cross for your sin. And so when you look to Him and confess your sin, you are trusting that God the just judge will not judge two people for the same crime. He punished Christ on your behalf. You will never be punished. So, the conclusion, be glad in Christ the Lord. Rejoice and shout for the freedom that you have. It's what's coming from verse 10 and 11. David wraps it up this way, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. By the way, that's written as a command. Be happy in God and rejoice, you who have right standing with Him. Shout for joy, you who have right standing with God in your heart because Christ has set you free. Confess your sins and receive His forgiveness. Don't conceal them. Don't hide from them. 